you are best when you are able to think proactively. When you're thinking about the problem in front of you and how you want to go solve it, being proactive natured and being proactive minded lets you think more creatively, it lets you slow down some, it lets you think critically about why you're actually going to solve some of these problems. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Brad Smith. With over a decade in operations, Brad founded Sonar to elevate ops teams from reactive roles to proactive business drivers. Under his leadership, Sonar secured significant investments, evolving into the top-rated change intelligence platform and earning accolades such as a top 50 software by G2. Brad's leadership style prioritizes genuine relationships, ensuring he remains accessible to both his team and customers. Welcome to the show, Brad. Todd, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start with kind of how you, you got into this industry and, and what sparked your, your interest in software development and the operations side. Totally. Uh, it's certainly not where I started, which I'd probably say is always important. Uh, I tell our team all the time, it's not where you start, it's where you end up. But uh, funny enough, started my career in sales, found out after about nine months, I was just tragically bad at it. You know, full circle now, <laughs> owning a business, you're always in sales. So I'm back in it and uh, enjoying it. But um, yeah, you know, after that first nine months, I realized a couple of different things. One, my mind and, and just the way I operated, the way I thought, the way I came to work every day was a little bit more operations focused and a little bit more uh, detail oriented. And certainly not to say the sales world is not, but uh, when you really get into the software side of things and start to understand how systems are integrating together, working together. Uh, I always tell folks, it's definitely a different part of the brain uh, that you're exercising there. But uh, I spent a little bit of time in corporate America, but kind of fast forward to really where my career started in light of what we started with Sonar was uh, another venture back startup here in Atlanta at the time, I think it was 2013 when I joined. It was a company called Cloud Sherpas. Uh, loved working there. They obviously had a, a great exit, ended up um, selling the business over to Accenture for about half a billion dollars in 2015. Um, so super fun there. But the biggest thing I realized in that environment, especially being a fast paced, high tech growth oriented business, the systems that we all use to get our jobs done every day, uh, we rely on heavily. But I think the thing that I realized the most is those systems are very brittle. And mm -hmm. when you start to really put them together in a different sense, it, it, they can become uh, just as much of a pain point as something that is elevating you and your business to uh, to succeed. And so uh, I have a s extreme high level of empathy for anybody in uh, the IT world, the operations world, especially business systems, any owners of business systems that uh, supports their business to, to run fluently and run well, uh, I'm a big fan of. Fast forward quickly out of that role and take a break in a second. But I think the the biggest thing that I realized in day one of that that company, and look, we've all had, had jobs before. You you get in day one, you, know, you do a little bit of HR paperwork here and there, and then you, know, you get your new laptop and somebody starts giving you system access to start uh, understanding what you're supposed to do every day. So think email, think Salesforce, think you know all your different applications you use on a daily basis. The one that most particularly stuck out to me and kind of the journey that, that really kicked off where we are with Sonar now was 
uh, as I was getting set up, my boss at the time, it gives me my Salesforce access. And he's like, all right, you're a Salesforce administrator now. Don't screw it up. And I was like, oh, don't <laughs> screw it up. But okay, I'll try my best not to. Um, what exactly do we use Salesforce again for? I'd never used it really before. I've certainly never been an administrator of it. And granted, this is over a decade ago. Uh, and I remember him saying vividly, this is the lifeblood of our business. It's where we keep all of our business. It's what keeps this business running and how we report on everything, how we do our sales, how we do our marketing. Uh, everybody in this business uses it. So again, don't screw it up. Yeah, and, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those words always stuck out to me. Um, yeah, kind of honestly moving on from there, I spent about three years there. Obviously, I screwed it up a few times and broke and fixed <laughs> and broke and fixed. I think the one aha moment that, that stuck out to me there was that, yes, as someone who can still be relatively junior in that role or relatively green, I had a lot of power and authority to move things around in these business systems, and I really enjoyed it. And so from there, uh, even after the exit, went on to do, continue to do more uh, Salesforce consulting. I think the bigger thing for me there was I really enjoyed being back in office and being back in the internal operations, not necessarily being the consulting side of things. So joined another startup here in Atlanta that uh, I was there for a little over a year. We actually ended up exiting within that same year. Uh, just kind of goes to show how quick and, and speedy these systems or these uh, these companies can be when you're thinking about raising capital, selling your business and things like that. Um, had a great time there. It's actually where I met my co-founder, Jack. Uh, from there, we also both went on to a different company and worked for about a year and then started Sonar. I think the, the thing that I tell folks all the time there is, we wouldn't have been able to start this company and, and be overly empathetic to the uh, users and the folks that use our platform without that journey of working together in two other places. You know, we, we know each other very well, uh, support each other very well. He's a lot more on the technical side than, than I am sometimes, but uh, it's great to have a good counterpart that, that can help balance everything out. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's dig in on some of the, the operations side of things. How do you help kind of encourage or what's maybe the, the key to ensuring the, the smooth operations in a tech driven company? I boil it down to two really kind of big pieces of a pie chart. And so you know, if everybody listening here can assume uh, you're looking at a piece of paper and you draw a big circle and start carving out your wedges of a pie chart, it really comes down to two slices, uh, being proactive and being reactive. And this can go into so many other disciplines, not just operations. It can go into sales, it can go into marketing, it can go into uh, customer success and development. But you are best when you are able to think proactively. When you're mm -hmm. thinking about the problem in front of you and how you want to go solve it, being proactive natured and being proactive minded lets you think more creatively. It lets you slow down some. It lets you think critically about why you're actually going to solve some of these problems. And on the flip side of that, you know, again, draw your lovely pie chart and think about the reactive side of things. You don't get to think as creatively. Typically, when you're in a reactive state, the house is on fire and you got to put it out and you're going to put it out whichever way necessary. Super important. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of that also comes down to not being able to think as creatively, not being able to think as uh, deeply about the solution and in a world that we're in right now, stop me if you've heard this, the market's a little weird and we're all thinking critically about our businesses. You need to be thinking critically and be thinking deeply about it and not just putting band-aids on different pieces. And so yeah, 
when I talk to our customers all the time, even when we're very early in sales cycles or just, you know, kind of better understanding what they do for the business, I ask that question in discovery all the time. How much of your time would you say is spent being reactive versus proactive? And sadly, they all say too much time is reactive and not enough time is proactive. What if with a platform we can help you, you know, reallocate a lot of that pie chart into a more proactive sense, which is a lot of what our, our application is able to do. Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that most people are in the the reactive bent. How do you handle the, the the change management on the mindset side to go from kind of the the posture of of reactive and all the ingrained uh, habits that that come along with that? How, how do you go about shifting from from that stance to taking the the time to have kind of that white space to to think proactively and and get more creative and strategic? It's going to sound extremely counterintuitive, but a lot of it revolves around slowing down and being able to set that pace for your business too. Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing that that we've realized in the the operations world, and, and this extends out to business systems and IT and, and you know the folks that again continue to own a lot of the business systems that we use in true software development, which has been happening for 60, 70, 80 years now. There's methodologies and there's frameworks and you hear a lot of engineers go into saying, oh yeah, we've got this sprint. So we're going for these two weeks. We're focusing very narrowly. We've got our blinders on. It's going to say, we're going to go solve problem A, B, and C. And rarely in those sprints do people insert problem D, E, and F. Most of the time, you're not really even allowed to. If you have a really good engineering leader or a really good product leader, they're going to keep those guardrails up. And even when the business comes back and says, Hey, this is a big fire. We need to go put it out. You know, they'll they'll look and really assess the fire. But if it's not something mission critical, they're not going to get off pace of that sprint. And I mean, there's so much math and science behind how and, and leadership for sure on how you go and allocate what gets done in those sprints. Mm -hmm. But a good leader is going to continue to give their team the longitude and latitude and just flexibility in general to think deeply take their time while they're creating code, make sure they test it the right way, we deploy it the right way, we continue to test uh, and iterate from there. But when you're rushed through that, I mean, we can all say this, right, Tom? Like when we go too fast to something, we're not gonna be the most effective at it. We're not gonna be, in a weird way, speed is not correlated to efficiency. A lot of people think it is. If I get something done faster, I can be more efficient at doing it. Well, there's opportunity costs inside that too. and. Mm -hmm kind of going back to these principles and these first principles of what software engineering, you know, really encapsulates, they do a really good job of putting those guardrails up, flip over to the operation side. Uh, I, I felt this pain personally, I would run certain sprints and run certain projects in the same you know capacity that engineers would, but I would always get that person coming over to my desk in a total panic. Hey, it's the last day of the quarter. I can't get this quote out. What, what am I supposed to do? And of course, that pulls me off of what I'm proactively working on and thinking deeply about, and I have to go over here and put this fire out. And if there's anything that's shifting a little bit right now in uh, what I would say in the overall operations and business system and go-to-market system side of things, we're starting to take some of those first principles of engineers and learning how to say no. Uh, we, I don't think operations folks for a long time have been given the authority and autonomy to say no. And they've always had to be yes people. And I think that's shifting a little bit. And by doing that, it does give you more time to keep your guardrails up, stay focused on what's truly at hand and get projects done. You know, when you start mm -hmm. to carve out so many pieces of that uh, pie chart, like I said, to reactiveness, 
you're you're depreciating the value that you're bringing to your other proactive projects. Yeah. What do you see as some of the, the drivers then behind the the kind of empowerment of the ops team to become more proactive and, and maintain those those guardrails better? Yeah, I was actually just having this conversation with a customer of ours this week. Given the market conditions and given everything that's going on right now, I think we're all, like I said, we're pressed for time. We're all being told, do more with less. Stop me if you've heard that one, but I think everybody in every industry is, is giving some sort of flavor of that. Sure. And I said this best to, uh, again, to our customer, actually, she said it before I could even bring it up. Um, I think the right operations leader right now should be having a question asked to them from their leadership team something to the degree of what shouldn't we be doing and i'll i'll kind of unpack that a little bit so often when you're hiring for this role and our customers come to us all the time hey brad i just had somebody leave on my team do you know anybody that would be a good fit for this like sure what are you you thinking about doing there and they'll walk me through all their projects what i find most unique right now given the time capacity we have the budget capacities that we all have the wrong question right now is hey, what can we do to improve this specific process? Or, hey, you're the expert of, of bridging all these two systems together. What's the best new thing we should be thinking about doing? And I think it's the wrong question. I think the, one of the best questions you can ask any operations leader, whether they're new to a business or they're, they've been there forever is, hey, what should we not be doing anymore? And I don't mm-hmm. think enough businesses ask that question. I certainly challenged my leadership team to ask that question way more often. Guys, let's go find something that we're doing right now that we shouldn't be doing. Because one thing for businesses in general is we get really excited about building a new business process, call it a sales cycle. And then we just build on top of that. And we build on top of that and add more layers of complexity and more systems and more people. And that's not necessarily bad. I don't think we spend enough time asking ourselves, should we still actually be doing that? Even though we've done it for years, is it something that we should still be doing now, given the conditions, given the atmosphere that we're in? Maybe not. And I think more operations leaders are well equipped in their mind to answer questions like, what shouldn't we be doing instead of, hey, here's this fire, go fix it. Yeah. I think it's a great question. Uh, and it's it's something that I, I talk to my team a lot about on the prioritization. And you, it's so easy to have, uh, you know, 10 number one priorities, but you practically can't have 10 number one priorities that you have your ranking. You just might not state it that way. And if, if everything is top priority, then nothing is top priority. So being able to really think critically and, and prioritize like, no, this is going to get more of my attention. This maybe it's important to do, but it's far less than this top. And so I'm going to spend less of my time thinking about this than topic A. Yeah, uh, I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. So go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Well, the one thing I was going to add on to, I think one thing that we're seeing more of this in a lot of good leadership teams and mm-hmm. um, it's been around for a while, but I see more adoption of it recently is, you know, new frameworks like OKRs and there's a lot of different flavors of that, but I, I'm a firm believer in a lot of those uh, for one reason and one reason only they do give people the authority and autonomy to say no. When you deliberately list out what's your key objective and the way that you're going to sit there and measure that and uh, the key results that you're going to get out of it, if someone comes to you in the business and says, hey, Todd, we've really got to you know, pivot a little bit here and go focus on you know this, you have a, a lot of uh, ground to stand on to say, well, 
terminal note, that's a bad idea. Um, I am in the middle of my OKRs for this quarter, and I've got a goal to go and do this project by the end of this date. Um, if this is truly critically important, you know, maybe we bring a couple other folks in on the leadership team and we can all validate that, yes, I need to reallocate my time from this project A to project B to help you put that fire out. But it gives you at least a conversation and a medium to go have a, a tougher one with somebody else in that. And I've already got my priority list and I need to keep my blinders on right now and make sure I get to the finish line because we measure, we're measuring the success of this all the way through the business. And if I don't get my mm -hmm. part done, somebody else isn't going to be able to get theirs either. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And it takes the uh, kind of the, the personal sting out of saying no as well too, because it's like, this is what the, the business has, has set as the priority there. Uh, so the, the tech landscape can be pretty intricate with, you know, there's so many options to, to sort through and uh, even just what tech stack do you put in? How do you turn the, the complexity into something that's more easily managed and uh, more you know, kind of simple workflow that's repeatable and then scalable? Yeah, that's a tough question. And man, if I had a dollar for every time I'm asked it, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd probably have another company I'd start by now at this point. When I do <laughs> or anything. But um, no, it, it, it's interesting. I think the, the one thing that people make the mistake of is, and this could be true for anything, any aspect of our lives right now, we were all getting bombarded with a lot of different advertising, a lot of different information. And I think, especially true to the tech industry, new solutions will come out and a lot mm -hmm. of people will get really excited about them and they'll almost start putting a round peg into a square hole of, well, hey, that new solution's on fire for this other company. And I just read this great case study. Maybe, maybe we, should, we should think about using that same solution. And uh, It's certainly a good thing from a marketing angle, have a lot of good use cases, case studies and customer stories. But just remember that we all run very different businesses, even if we're all in the same category or same industry, just because one person found success with a piece of software doesn't mean another company will. And I think there's a lot of times, uh, not as much right now, given some of the market conditions, but in, in what I would say, like even somewhat normal times, people can rush through buying software without fully understanding their own problems. And that's typically where I start when I talk to our customers or, or anybody in the whole market. I get all asked all the time, hey, Brad, should I be using SalesLoft, Outreach, Apollo, or Groove? I need some type of sales engagement. Like, great, let's start there. You've recognized mm -hmm. that you need some type of sales engagement platform. Have you spoken to any of these vendors yet? No, I was going to ask you first. Like, well, man, I don't, I don't sell their products, so you should certainly talk to their sales team. But before you do that, you should talk to your internal team. What problems are you truly trying to solve? Because you might have heard of great keynote at a conference that said, hey, we just increased our win rate by 50% by using XYZ software. And you now think that you're going to be able to go do that. I think it's more important for you to one, know is that actually a problem that our current company has? Sounds silly to say, but people buy software sometimes when they don't even have a problem they're trying to solve. And two, is that actually going to be something that we need to focus and prioritize our time on? Kind of going back to what we were talking about a second ago. And so... Mm. Yeah, building a tech stack's tough. Start with what your true pain points are. Certainly don't try to solve too many of them at one time, but make sure that you know that this is actually going to be something that works for you, your industry, and your customer. Don't make a decision like this without being customer-centric. Yeah. No, I think it's a very insightful, and it's a, it's one of those things that it, it sounds like it should be obvious to people of like, 
ask what are you trying to solve and and then go find a software to align with that but it's amazing to me how many companies don't start there or they think that like the the leadership thinks that they know what the problem is but they've never talked to the people that are actually using the software day in and day out or, or dealing with the pain point and so there there's a total misalignment on what the actual problem is and just a little communication well, <laughs> and honest assessment is it goes a long way yes I'll, I'll tell you one of my biggest pet peeves and it happened to me probably more times than i have fingers and toes i'd, I'd be running operations whether it be internally or for a, uh, as a consultant a new ceo would come in a new cro cmo you know insert executive here and they would say I've been doing this for 15 or 20 years. And the only way I know how to get it done is if I use this product, this product, this product, and this product. I'm like, mm -hmm. that's great. I'm pretty sure Fred Flintstone said at one point, yeah, I need my car and I got to push it with my feet. And then he realized, hey, there's these things called engines or dinosaurs or anything else that can help me pull this car. So don't, I've, I've literally had to say this to executives before. Don't be Fred Flintstone and only suggest one type of solution for this, because the reality is we are living in a very fast paced world. A new solution comes out every single day for all of us to be able to use. We need to properly vet that. And I'm certainly not having that pendulum swing all the way to the other side and, and go adopt brand new technology you know, flippantly. But also don't be stuck in your ways and don't be that person that says, I only know how to achieve success by using A, B or C. Um, the other analogy I love using for folks, it's like, I'm sure when you had to solve, uh, Hey, we need to go watch a, a movie tonight with the family. Two decades ago, we all got in the car and went to Blockbuster and nobody's doing that now anymore. That is not something that is even close to being something that we would even think about doing. We now just do it all from a remote and we stream it. Um, was Blockbuster a viable solution? Absolutely. It was at the time but then technology progresses. And so don't get stuck in your ways, but also don't be too aggressive to go and get into the new flavor of the week and think that it's going to solve every problem. You find some balance inside of it. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And it makes me sad that Blockbuster is not viable anymore. I spent a lot of college days <laughs> in a Blockbuster store. I loved it. The four you know, movies for 20 bucks, you can't beat that. It's also yeah. what made them go under, but. <laughs> Dude, I still have my Blockbuster card at the house. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> that's a vintage now. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I wish I kept mine. I don't think I have that. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I think it's also important when we're talking tech stack that the the culture of the company is is really important in factoring in what tech that you should bring in because what worked to your example of the, the CEO, what worked at, you know, ABC company might not work at XYZ because the culture is, is very different. It might be you know, on paper, you know, they're doing the exact same thing. Their processes should be the same, but whatever, you know, mindset and, and uh, the, the history of, of tech at those companies might be drastically different. And you got to factor that in. Maybe you still go with whatever comp or software that you used at ABC, but you got to take the, the long road about it and, and not just try to, one size fits all it cramming in. Totally. Uh, I'll give you one like quick example of where I, I felt that personally in, in my journey. Uh, this is well before starting Sonar. This is when I was a, a consultant and we were brought in massive, massive uh, marketing agency that helped uh, grocery stores put, you know, all their different items on all the different shelves. I never mm -hmm. knew that was actually a big part of an industry, but yeah, the bag of Doritos that is eye level to you, that costs a lot more to put on that shelf than the bargain brand bag of potato chips is on the bottom shelf. And so 
this was, you know, this company or this customer of ours that we were helping support. And, you know, they were, they were telling us like, Brad, you know, we're so antiquated in our, our technology ways. Like we really need to get with the times. Can you, can you bring in you know, some of these new technologies and new processes to do it? I was like, I, I certainly can, you know, myself and my company, that's what we're great at doing. Who's going to be actually the end user of these new pieces of technology and new new systems? Going back to your point with, can the culture really grab it and consume it? Long story short, for this customer, no. We built this elaborate, like really complex, like easy click path, but it was relatively technical. And we had to remind ourselves, the end user of this system that we were building they walk into bodegas and grocery stores and convenience stores and do a lot of this work on a piece of paper and write these orders down. And now we're having them do double work to come in and now they have to go back in their car and hammer away at a keyboard to build to yeah. use the solution that we built. Why didn't we even think about building this as a mobile solution so they could do it on their feet while they're in that store? I, I joked with that CEO at the time. I was like, I feel silly. We just built a Ferrari for a person that doesn't know how to drive a stick shift. Your, your users are never going to get this high caliber thing out of first gear. They don't know how to use yeah. it. And so we had to go back to the drawing board and build an entire new solution. But again, it, going back to your point, I'm glad you brought it up. A lot of it comes down to the cultural side of things. And, and can are we at the right place at the right time for people to adopt the right technology? And mm -hmm. that obviously was an example of absolutely not. It was a terrible timing for us to do that. Right. Yeah. How do you keep on uh, kind of regularly uh reviewing and assessing where the company is because you might start up not you know ready to drive the ferrari but maybe in a couple of years maybe they're they're ready and if you, you stay stuck in that that mindset of oh no they're not going to get there you're going to miss a, a big opportunity so how do you kind of honestly take a, a look at the business and say all right we're moving along and here's the where we are in this journey um, it, it's certainly a balance and I've had the same conversation. I've asked the same question to other founders when they think about operating a business as such. Um, for me and for our team, I like to more subscribe to the, let's make small changes more often. We learn a lot from change. One of our uh, core values is change is constant. And so we're constantly iterating on what our business can do, but they're typically all small, you know, pretty bite-sized changes that we can take. Uh, mm. I like that approach a little bit better than let's go make three changes a year, but they're going to be massively sweeping and we've got to stop the whole business for a week to train everybody how to do these new processes. So I'll, I'll always subscribe to a little bit change more often and do a little bit more of micro changes and these huge, just elaborate changes for it. Um, but I'll say that lesson also was taught to me in you know, building this business from, from the ground up and, and in general. One of the biggest fears that I think entrepreneurs have, especially in this software world and product development world, is you don't want to ship something or, or let it go for GA or like let users start using it until it's fully ready. Spoiler alert, your product's never fully ready. <laughs> and I had to not say you had to learn that the hard way, but I remember the early days when Jack and I were, were talking often and, and we're building and I would start testing. I'm like, man, I, just, I, don't, I don't think we're ready yet. I think we need to go back and let's, let's refine this for a few more weeks. And what you do there is uh, you actually prohibit yourself from one learning about your own product and getting it more into people's hands and getting that feedback quickly. You, you want that mm -hmm. constant feedback loop, but at some point you just have to drop your guard a little bit and, and be 
appreciative of what you built and get it out to market knowing that it's not perfect. Uh, candidly, I can't tell you a single product out there in the world, much less a software product, but any product in general, that's perfect. Everything has their flaws. You know, that's part of the human nature that we're in, but being able to learn that quickly and be able to start getting your product out there is going to iterate. The first thing you ship is never going to be the last. You're constantly going to be fixing things, upgrading things, enhancing things. And that's fine. That's what makes us mm -hmm. human. It's what makes us great. I kind of wish Blockbuster did that for a little while. Maybe they'd still be around and maybe they'd be, have a streaming service. Who knows? But, you know, I think complacency is the one thing that's going to hurt a lot of businesses. And so if you can find the opposite of complacency and move fast, and like I say, move fast and break things, but move fast and be able to make changes quickly and support your customer and your internal folks. It's worked for us so far. So that's all. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm more than agree. I think those 1% improvements, that's the, the way to go constantly be looking. How can I just increase this one more percent? And those stacked on top of each other leads to a huge radical shift in, in evolution um, in the end. So that's for sure. Uh, so kind of along with the, the technology, I, I can't let a technology conversation go without bringing up AI. Uh, you know, it's, it's everywhere in all industries right now. How do you see it shaping the world of, of systems optimization and operations? It's very interesting time right now in the software world with all things AI. Uh, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago out in San Francisco. You know, Salesforce puts their big user conference on every year called Dreamforce. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't walk more than two feet without some table or vendor or Salesforce themselves talking about AI. Uh, it's certainly here. I don't think it was a, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I don't think it's going anywhere. Uh, I think the challenge that a lot of businesses are having right now is truly figuring out how to harness it and, you know, not to, not to overdwell on you know, the, the macroeconomic conditions, but I think it does play a part in here too. Um, Artificial intelligence can create additional efficiencies. There, there's no doubt about that. You know, being able to leverage some um, large language models that can help us write more succinct emails, help us develop stronger code, test that code for us. It's all there. I do think it still comes back to, is your team ready to adopt that? And do they have an adoptive uh, mentality? Mm -hmm. The the one thing I will debunk, uh, I don't think we're in a place yet where robots are going to take over the world and, and we're all out of jobs. I, I think if anything, um, there's a narrative out there that's like, oh man, some of these AI solutions are going to take you know, take my jobs away from me. I think if anything, it, it's going to empower you to do your job better. I certainly don't think it's going to be a replacement for a lot of roles. Um, there's some that might be out there, but at the end of the day, go back to proactive and reactive, and you can use the same analogy for uh, tactical and strategic. My hope is for AI that it takes a lot of the uh, I call it mundane, monotonous, uh, daily tactical work that we have to do and automate a good portion of that and give us as humans, you know, the folks that can think creatively, we do have a brain up here and it's not uh, a microchip yet. I think we need to use that. And I think we'll get, be given more time back in our day in order to do that. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go on the polar opposite side of this to a degree of where the risks are with AI. And this is something that we talk a lot with our customers about, and, you know, full transparency. We already have open AI uh, built in to our application and our, our customers are certainly using it to be more efficient with their time uh, and more concise with how they configure their systems. The biggest risk that a lot of people have right now is I'm now connecting my data from system A to system B. 
and system B has access to OpenAI. Is my information secure now that it's leaving system A that I own and I know where these servers are and I know where all my data is stored and putting it over into system B, which might also be very secure, but system B is also leveraging a brand new technology that is learning quickly and also distributing data. So if anything that is in my, you know, crystal ball uh, mentality, if I could predict the future, I think we're going to see a high level of scrutiny over the next year, two years, three years, don't know the time horizon yet for how businesses leverage it and get comfortable with the speed in which it develops itself to a degree, but more importantly, where their data is being moved and how it's being used. We're, we're in a place, especially for, for anybody in a, in a B2B SaaS world, you know all the fun acronyms, SOOP, GDPR, CCPA, SOC2, SOX compliance. A lot of these protocols are very geared towards compliance and governance and protecting critical and super important data. You start not arbitrarily, but sometimes haphazardly connecting system A to system B and system B to C and C to D and D. And oh, by the way, that system D is already hooked up to a, an LLM and, and has AI already laced into it. Do we truly know where all of our data is going after that? Mm -hmm. And there's no harder job right now than a CTO, a, a CISO, like a chief information security officer. You're seeing more titles now on LinkedIn for chief risk officer uh, because it's not binary. A, a lot of people think that when you're in an IT ecosystem or you're in a, uh, a data security system, it's it's ones and zeros and X's and O's and it's not, there's a lot of gray area and you have to find comfort in that gray area in order to keep proceeding and using some of these systems. And so that challenge is real right now. I don't think it's gonna go away. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting on the, the risk side of things. And I I think that's spot on the, on the, the Pro side, uh, you were singing from my my hymnal on on that for sure. That's all of, I more than agree. I, I talk about all the time that it's going to take away the mundane features and allow people to really be empowered to do what we do best, and that's creative thinking and the the strategy. AI can't do that. We can do that really well, and so it's this great augmented partnership between the two of us. I I don't see it as a a threat in terms of your your job function. It, allows you to, to be more creative. And I, I call it my most favorite brainstorm partner is chat GPT and, and just bouncing ideas off of each other. And, uh, that sounds weird to say talking about chat, but <laughs> it's true. That's what it's there for. I, I think that part is going to be here to stay. I, I will say genuinely, I'm excited to see it continue to evolve. I think we're in such early innings of it right now mm -hmm. that we can see a lot of the value, a lot of the surface level value. I don't think we've gotten into some of the deeper value of how that technology is leveraged across a lot of different systems, a lot of different industries. Man, I can't wait to see how our health tech improves based on some of the AI improvements. Uh, some of the financial customers that we work, like FinTech customers, they are loving having this because there's a lot of deep analytics that goes into uh, their jobs. And if they can automate mm -hmm. that a little bit more, speed it up and have a higher level of certainty with it, imagine what we can do with uh, expediting some of the, the issues that those softwares are solving. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as we start to kind of land the plane here, uh, one of the kind of core themes of this show is all around innovation. 
what does innovation mean to you? Mm, what does innovation mean to me? I'll probably take it a little bit of a different route. I hope nobody's uh, said this before, but I can correlate uh, innovation with what's our fun definition of uh, insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting uh, the same results. So uh, my definition of innovation is the opposite of insanity. Do something different every day and innovate and take risks. We wouldn't be here without a lot of people well before us taking a lot of risks. Spoiler alert, risks do not always equal reward. Most of the time, things break and you have to figure out how that works. But when you think about the true innovation of how we have progressed as society, we've progressed in technology, I think a lot of, uh, you can't have innovation without being very comfortable with taking risks. And uh, candidly, we do that often. We build quickly. Most of our most of our build, most of the time, is very, very well. But there's times that we find what we built hasn't fully uh, solved a problem, and we have to go back into the lab and keep working on it and re-release it. But we would rather take that approach than waiting too long, not releasing over, you know, waiting, releasing only three or four times a year versus, man, we release three or four times a month, sometimes more. And we like that speed of change. And I think that's allowing us to continue to be more innovative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so how do people find out more information on what you guys are doing at, at Sonar and, and connect with you? Yeah. Sonarsoftware.com, probably the easiest place to go. Uh, I'm all over LinkedIn. Brad Smith might be hard to find. I know it's a very <laughs> generic name, but if you do Brad Smith Sonar, uh, you certainly will find me and please uh, reach out. We'd love to help you. Uh, anything technology, that's our bread and butter. And we're here to, uh, to solve a lot of those problems. Awesome. Well, Brad, final question for you. If I could give you all power, you could snap your fingers and innovate one thing in the industry. What would you pick to innovate? If I could innovate one thing in the industry, can I give you two answers? One being very funny because only sure. this has always been one of my biggest. I'll allow it. Uh, if we could innovate and figure out a way that every time I put my hands underneath the faucet with the automatic washing hand things and water actually comes out, I would probably get back at least two or three hours a day in my day. I hate that. <laughs> I always do this fun little, like, do I have to go up to the little sensor? Where's the sensor? Where's the sensor? So, uh, that's definitely one of them. Um, hmm. What else? I think that I'm going to stay there. Actually, that's probably one thing I fixed. Actually, one other thing in innovation that I would love to fix, and I don't know how this actually gets solved, but uh, there is a trend right now with sales in general that we're it doesn't seem as authentic as it used to be. Um, and I'm not saying let's all get our uh, our briefcases back out and go knock door to door and go sell things that way. But I think one of the next big evolutions that we're all going to run through is. How do we continue to have a personalized relationship and sales approach? And, and that doesn't have to be just sales. It can be customer success. It can be marketing. But with the influx of data that we all have now, it's tough to uh, be authentic and genuine. And I hope that you know as the years continue to progress, we all remind ourselves that this is still a human-to-human -human, uh, world that we're in. Yes, we've got mm -hmm. some uh, AI that's helping us do this, but let's just not forget that we're all here solving a lot of same human to human problems together. Yeah, mm, I agree. Man, that's a, that's good. Most every industry is a people business. 
And so to keep that at the, the center and the, the forefront is, is critical for sure. Absolutely. Well, Brad, thanks so much for taking the time and joining the show today. I don't really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take, in the fast paced world of construction, it's easy to get caught up in the whirlwind of reacting to urgent matters. However, it's crucial to remember the value of creating white space in your schedule for strategic and proactive thinking. Speed may seem like the path to efficiency, but it doesn't always lead to the best results. Taking a moment to pause and reflect can ultimately save you time and resources in the long run. Second take, one thought-provoking question to consider as raised by Brad is what shouldn't we be doing? This question holds significant importance when it comes to setting priorities for your construction projects and strategies. Trying to do everything for everyone is not a sustainable approach. To maximize your effectiveness, it's essential to be crystal clear about your priorities and focus your efforts accordingly. And final take, in the realm of technology adoption, it's easy to fall into the trap of having to keep up with the Joneses. However, a more prudent approach involves understanding your industry, your team, your company culture, and the specific challenges that you are trying to address. Before investing in the latest tech solutions, take the time to identify the precise problems you need to solve, ensuring that your technology choices align with your unique needs. This thoughtful approach will lead to more effective and sustainable solutions in the construction industry. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software Great Tech Group at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining the conversation to model the future on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an Applied Software Great Tech Group production. Copyright Applied Software Great Tech Group 2023.